everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. starting a new series, and, and, and the series is called We Are. And so um, I want to start by talking about um, group work, group projects. So um, I know that a lot of people in school have done group projects. Maybe in your place of business, you do group work. And so what I notice is that most times in a group setting, people kind of assume roles. And, and usually there is somebody in the group who is pushing the group forward, got to get the deadlines done. Um, we would sometimes call them a type A personality. And, and, and then there's always someone on the other side who um, really thinks that it is uh, that you should be thankful that they're showing up. And that that alone is an amazing contribution, that they're even there. Um, and, and usually this causes conflict. And so uh, when we are in, a, in groups that have these kind of different directions and these kind of disunity, um, a lot of times what happens is um, the project that we're working on gets stunted. And we, in trying to reach a goal, we kind of get stalled. And the reason is because we, we're, we're kind of focusing inward because we're focusing on the group dynamics or the personality issues, and we actually take our mind off of why we got together in the first place, but focus more on the differences, and that causes issues. Now, that causes issues when you're in high school and you're trying to work on a group project, but, but that causes monumentally more issues when it happens in the church. So when we get into the church and we have these different conflicts and these personality issues and we start to focus on those and start to lose sight of why we actually got together in the first place, we get stunted. We get our, our progress towards the goal gets slowed or even stopped. And so that's what I want to talk about today. If you have a Bible, why don't you open to Ephesians chapter 4. Um, I'm going to start off in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, but I'm not going to stay there a long time. Then we're going to move to Ephesians 4, which is our main text. So um, the series that we're starting is called We Are, and we have three weeks in it, called, uh, this week being We Are a Body, next week being We Are a City, and then finally We Are a Family. And so um, we're focusing on what does the Bible say about the church and its mission, and specifically, what is the Bible saying to us about this church and this mission? In fact, is going to, coming to City of Lights different than going to any other church in the city or any other church in the world? And the answers that we find are, in some ways, as long as that church is rooted in Scripture, in some ways, no, it's not any different. But then in other ways, locally, God has placed us here for very specific reasons, very specific purposes, and we want you to be very clear about what you are a part of and how you can contribute. So um, we're going to start with, we are a body. I was kind of reading um, some online um, blogs and things like that about the church in general, and I came across an article by Carrie Newhoff about... Um, uh, trends coming up in the church. So um, these are like, this, he wrote this about a year ago, but he was projecting out five years. So we are one year into that. And he's talking about um, what trends are we going to see in the modern Christian church? And so one of those trends that really caught my attention is that 
over time, he predicted that people are going to want a non-downloadable experience. That people are coming to church looking for something that they can't download. And that really kind of caught my attention in terms of talking about the church and what it is because um, we have, as a society, pushed everything online. We've pushed everything digital. So we've pushed everything. We've, we've pushed our shopping online, our communication online, our dating online, our social relationships online. Everything has been pushed online, and even church has been moved online. Case in point, we have a podcast that people may be listening to this message even right now. And so I will say, online church has made the church experience, the worship and the, and the teaching, more um, accessible to more people than possibly ever before. And we've seen growth come out of that. And people in, maybe if there are people in remote areas that have internet connections or people that are not able to leave the house that have internet connections and they're able to dial into church, but that causes issues. So the online church can cause some problems. You see, um, people very quickly realize, just like they realize with their social relationships or their dating or whatever else has been moved online, that there's something lacking there. There's a piece that I'm missing out on. There's, a, there's an experience of connection of people in the presence of God that I'm not quite getting online. But, but you see, the, the, the counter would be in-person church. And I would suggest to you this morning that in-person church causes so many more problems than online church, has so much more baggage than online church, that maybe we should just pack it in and move it online, because there are a, there's a lot of messiness when people come together. That when people who are, by definition, sinners, misfits, losers, people that haven't quite been able to fit into society and where society is going, how society would label us, that it's going to cause drama. It's going to cause friction. It's going to cause problems. And that the messiness of in-person church can be difficult. So sometimes we can try to avoid that in person and really just try to play a part and try to look as if there's no problems or even just to focus on ourselves is one way to deal with this. And so that's where Paul is actually addressing the church of Corinth in um, 1 Corinthians 11. And he says this, now in giving this instruction, I do not praise you. Since you come together, not for better, but for worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. When you come together, then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for at the meal, each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry while another person gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. So what Paul is saying is that when you come together as a church, you're leaving actually worse off than when you came. That's how bad the situation is. And if we dig into this, um, what we see is that the wealthy we're, we're kind of eating all the fine foods and getting drunk, and that there was nothing left for the gathering of the saints. In fact, the wealthy would be eating until they were full, and while the poor scrounged for scraps from the table. And it is this, more importantly than those 
pieces. It is this I'm better than you mentality, this I'm going to look out for myself and no one else mentality that kind of crept its way into the church, and that causes divisions. Now, Paul did say that there is some sort of division in there that's actually a good thing. And so I, I want to I point that out real quick, that um, Paul is talking about the fact that as we come together, um, that there are, in this room, there are people that have surrendered their lives to Jesus, given everything to him, called him Lord and Savior, and are walking or, or doing our best to awkwardly, messy, in a messy way, walk um, in a way that he has called us. And then there, those that, are, that maybe that aren't quite there yet, they're kind of searching out, they're kind of looking, ask, asking their questions. And, the, and Paul's really opening up that the church is a safe place to do that for both groups. That the church is, that you're welcome here regardless of where you fall, but it's important that we realize that those two groups exist because we want to know that we are secure in Christ, and so we want to know which group we are part of. So, so that division, that faction is actually not a bad thing, but these kind of factions that, that creep their way into the church, that divide us, cause us um, to be uh, off mission, I think would be the best way to put it. And, and that's a bad thing because church is really the only place where our faith makes a lot of sense when we come together, where we can kind of be encouraged by being around one another. So when we pick up in Ephesians 4, our main text, Paul is addressing a very similar issue in the church in Ephesus. If you look at Ephesians chapter 3, um, he has been talking about the fact that there is a cultural divide that has happened among Jew and Gentile. And, and, and what he very cleverly puts is that it's not as much Jew and Gentile as you guys were all dead and now you're alive. And that characteristic is so much more important than any external thing that we could do. That, that, that once you were dead and now you are alive. And so he picks up in verse 4, or sorry, in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you've received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And so, if we have been raised to life, he calls us to live in unity and make every possible effort to live in unity. And so, he mentions things, a couple of examples of this. So, he says, with all humility and gentleness. So, in the church, what does unity look like? It looks like being humble. It looks like not walking around thinking I'm better than you or I'm more self-righteous than you or I'm more justified than you. And it also looks like being gentle. So not coming at people who don't agree with you in a way that is unkind and unloving. And, and in fact, if we have a, a safe place, we talk about a safe place for people to come and ask their questions and explore what this God thing means and what this Jesus thing means in their lives, isn't that going to cause some friction? And how do we address that friction? Do we address it with gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love? This is how we live, worthy of that calling. He goes on in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope at your calling, 
One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through it all and in all. So we have a church that is divided. And Paul is encouraging us that we were in fact called to one spirit, one body. And so as the church is the body of Christ... As we come together as, as a body, there are these divisions that can kind of pull us apart and cause us to be off mission. And, and so I want to talk about um, three divisions that, that I see often in the church today that we can, we can really get kind of struggle with. And, and the first one I want to talk about is that of political views. So we get so wrapped up in the idea the idea that a political ideology is going to Christianize the world we live in. And the funny thing is, is that we tried that. That there was a lot of kind of Christian-y things injected into our politics. And, and did that save everybody? Did that make everybody start following Jesus in a real authentic way? I don't think it did. And so we... So we often get this idea that a political party or a political leaning is going to somehow make the entire world more apt to follow Jesus. And that whoever disagrees with my political view on this is actually somehow disagreeing with Jesus. So apart from the life-changing power of Jesus, none of us stand a chance, regardless of political leadership, policy, left or right, leaning. I'm not suggesting that politics don't matter. Um, I, I think it's really important that even this last week you got out and you got informed. Get out, get informed, vote, and then let's get back on mission. The second thing, actually, you know what? With political views, I think I also mentioned this, that churches don't, even when they don't hold a political stance, you ever walked into a church and felt, oh, this is a Republican church? <laughs> you ever walked into a church and felt like this is kind of a Democrat type of church? So it's not just the things we preach, it's how we carry ourselves. It's how we carry ourselves in love for people that fall in a different political ideology as us. And those people become really hard to love when behind their backs we're talking about how, how much they're wrong. So the second thing I want to talk about with divisions in the church is that of theological divisions, theological views. Um, now, I say theological views, um, theological just meaning a word for how we interpret, um, how we interpret the scriptures, um, but oftentimes the views that are theological differences really just come to authority of scripture issues, yeah. is that um, this church will always stand on the word of God above our opinion about anything. We're going to let the Bible speak for itself, and Pastor John or myself or whomever up here is up here is going to do our best to stay totally connected to it, but the Bible's going to speak for the Bible. And so what oftentimes happens in divisions in the church is that um, we hold some kind of view 
that the Bible doesn't support or we don't hold the Bible in an authority and that's going to cause friction. But having one body, one mind, and one mission, we let the Bible guide us, not our opinions. And then our discussion doesn't become arguing about issues. Our discussion becomes, well, how do we interpret what the Bible's saying here? And that's a great argument to have in the church. That's a great discussion to have in the church, a debate. Okay, well, how is, what is the Bible exactly saying about this? Not, is the Bible, um, is the, Bible the authority we're actually going to trust? Or are we going to maybe see what everybody thinks and then go with that? Or see what the leadership thinks and go with that? I'm telling you that if the leadership, even of this church, starts to walk away from what the Bible says in terms of an opinion, I'd probably start walking out too. The third division that I want to talk about is that of cultural and racial backgrounds that we see in the church. And this actually is what Paul was speaking directly to in Ephesians, is this cultural and racial divide that happens in the church. And I want to stress here that, okay, so, you know, we talk about, you know, white or black or really we're talking about different shades of brown, right? (laughs) So I want to stress here that because you see different shades of brown on stage and sitting around you, don't let that lull you into the belief that we as a church don't struggle with this. So that's the first danger with cultural and racial divisions that I want to talk to you about today is that, that thinking that being a member of a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church means that you don't have biases that run deep, yeah. that impact how you interact with people. And so be, just being here is, is great, but... But are you actually interacting with people that, that look different than you, that come from a different cultural background than you? And, and so you, you wonder, okay, well, what do I do with this? How do I actually apply this in my life? And, and so um, I want to have a little bit of a discussion around a word that just makes everybody feel uncomfortable, and that word is privilege. Feels like the air just got sucked out of the room. <laughs> Because that's an uncomfortable word. We don't want to admit we've got privilege because admitting we've got privilege somehow takes away from my journey and my, you know, getting it done. But listen, privilege is just this. It's that it's having extra things done for you or more often barriers torn down that you don't have to face because of some external reason. So oftentimes it has to do with race Sometimes it has to do with your, the, the money that you come from. Sometimes, actually, and even sometimes there are, there are barriers you don't have to face if you work, a bun, uh, you work around a bunch of Christian people and you're a Christian. So there's, there's, there's privilege that we deal with regardless. And so I'm not up here this morning telling you to start walking in shame and woe is me. I mean, <laughs> you know, if, if I want to sit down with you and talk to you about how upset I am about the privilege I've had, I can guarantee you nobody's going to hear that discussion. <laughs> um, but what we can do is we can acknowledge that as uncomfortable as it can be 
and then we can try our best to tear down the systems that have given that to us. I come from um, a place, actually, um, the hip-hop artist J. Cole produced a documentary about my hometown, calling it one of the most segregated cities in America. I don't necessarily disagree with that. Uh, But he made a documentary called Out of Omaha, um, with just personal stories about people coming from um, Omaha on various sides of the, the black-white racial divide. Um, and so um, I can tell you right now that there has guaranteed been, whether I acknowledge them or not, whether I even know them or not, there's guaranteed been things that have been made easier on my life, barriers I didn't have to go through because I am white and male. Those exist. And it doesn't make me any weaker. It doesn't make my journey any different. It just means that I need to acknowledge these things and then look around for how I cannot perpetuate this system. Especially in the church. And so um, how that might look like for you is sitting down with somebody um, who looks quite different than you and asking them about their story. Maybe, maybe sitting down and, and, and not even about that, but just building relationship with people yeah. intentionally who yeah. look different than you. Yeah. Yeah. This is against the world system. See, what the world system, even though they, they, they would want you to think that this is kind of what they want, oftentimes the world system is like, um, let's just live harmoniously and never talk to each other. <laughs> let's just... <laughs> But no, let's, because, and the reason for that is because these discussions are awkward and they're uncomfortable sometimes and they cause friction, but we work through that and that's how we become a body with, on one mission, with one family. The second thing with cultural and racial backgrounds that divides us is thinking that um, by bringing more people from more cultural backgrounds here, that they're just going to come in here and assimilate to what we have going on. That they're not going to bring their culture, they're not going to bring their background, they're not going to bring their style, and they're not going to bring all of that into this place. This is another piece that causes division in the church, is that we believe that everybody's welcome here, but once you get here, you need to be like us. And you can't come in here and speak a different language. You can't come in here and have an impairment that we don't really know how to deal with. You can't come in here and look a certain way or act a certain way because that's not how we are acting and that's kind of out there. But finally, with cultural and racial backgrounds, so so thinking that we don't have to deal with this, having people come in um, and not bring their cultural backgrounds. The third thing with cultural and racial issues is, is this buying into an us versus them mentality. This also, I mean, this is what Paul was getting at in Ephesians. This is why he's reminding them, by the way, you were dead and you're now alive. That's the most important characteristic. And I would tell you that regardless of how you would identify yourself in a cultural way, that son or daughter of God is above all of that, and we have that in common. And then we celebrate our diversity. But when we buy into an us versus them mentality, and this even gets back to this political idea, that we buy into an us versus them mentality, it instinctively causes division. So, so what's the alternative? Well, uh, Miles McPherson, a pastor out in California, he wrote a book called The Third Option. And what he talks about in this book is how um, 
that when we start to, instead of viewing people as the opposition, to view them as somebody who's bearing the image of God, then that drastically changes how we interact. So whether somebody um, buys into your ideas or not, just remember that this is a person who's been made in the image of God who needs Jesus just as much as you do. And that changes how we interact with people. We stop buying into an us versus them mentality. I'll kind of run worship through this kind of filter. So since this church is very focused on, on worshiping God, not only musically, but with our, our, our time and our, our talents, but um, I want to focus on the, the music part of worship. See, um, one of the things that, that I had to understand a little bit is really what does worship mean culturally? What does worship mean politically? See, I don't come from a cultural or political background where worship is how we deal with oppression. That's not my background. I don't come from a background where worship means giving everything you possibly have, even externally, physically, giving everything you have to let God know. Because if I'm holding anything back, then then God's going to see that. That's not the background I come from. In fact, the background I come from would tell you that worship is just the songs we sing at the beginning of service. And so when I see people who worship wholeheartedly with everything that they've got, that can make me uncomfortable. And on, on the other side of, of the coin, when you come from that kind of a background and you see somebody who's just kind of, you know, standing there and singing, maybe got a hand in the air, that can be like, oh, well, look, at they're not even bought in. There's us versus them, right? Instead of viewing it, oh, that person is made in the image of God, and maybe this is a huge step for him. <laughs> maybe just raising a hand is just a big, it's a big step. <laughs> and we'll encourage that. But then the other thing is maybe this person who's made in the image of God is, is out in the aisle way and dancing and singing and yelling, and that is how they worship, and that's great. So you see how starting to take that mentality kind of starts to address these divisions. So I'm going to continue in Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build the body of Christ until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's faithfulness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves, blown around by every wind of teaching, but by human cunning with cleverness and techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, letting us grow in every way into him who, has, who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by proper working of each individual part. And so Paul starts to describe the body of Christ like this. The way that we connect, the way that we ignite a city, how do we light the world? By being a functioning body, a place where your unique personality, gifting, and experiences are not only appreciated, but utilized as part of our body. You, are, you as a part of the body of Christ are never some useless appendage that we deal with, but rather a functioning piece that we may not even know that we need it. Me and some friends are reading a book um, 
We have sons, so we're reading a book called uh, The Boy Crisis, and um, we're t- it's talking about um, the lack of material out there in, in um, talking about raising boys, and, and specifically how fatherhood has become more of this um, provide funds provide for the family instead of actually be there. And um, so it's a great book, but one of the pieces it talks about is how um, there are there are neural, neurological connections and pathways and hormonal co- things that happen in your body when you assume the role of a father um, that help you care for, nurture, and love in a different way that you've never been able to do so before. You see, when I became a father, that, that changed in me. And so um, I wasn't lacking these things because I didn't necessarily need them. But then once I stepped into this new role, all of a sudden, I needed this new part of my body working. I needed this new thing that I didn't even know existed, but I need it now. And this is how the church works. We're running a mission. We're running a race. We're running towards a goal. And all of a sudden, we realize that, and we didn't even know this before, but there's something that we need. And oftentimes, that something is you. You are an appendage, a part of the body, a ligament, a joint, a neural pathway that we didn't realize as a body that we needed to accomplish our mission. But God brought you here for that purpose. See, this is what God does. He rearranges his people like chessboard, like pieces of a chessboard into different parts where he says, no, um, this body, this body is going to need this specific person at this time. You've been brought here for a purpose. You've been brought part of this body for a purpose. This is not to say that God can't accomplish something without your involvement, but maybe him bringing you here today is part of that. So City of Lights cannot cannot accomplish the mission that we've set forth, that God has placed in our hearts without a connection to him and without him bringing people in as part of that mission. So when we talk about the body of Christ, people have oftentimes, um, people have oftentimes kind of defined the body of Christ in, in three different ways, and they've always been kind of separate. So the body of Christ can mean the physical body of Jesus. The body of Christ can mean the church. And the body of Christ can mean the bread broken at communion. And so these are often talked about in, in different ways as different things. But, but this morning, I'd like to suggest to you that maybe they aren't so separate. That maybe we can look at communion, which represents the physical body of Christ broken for us as a representative of the church. That when we say we are a body, I really mean we're a broken body that we're full of drama and divisions. We're plagued by the outside world, tearing us apart. We are sinners in need of a Savior who brought all of our collective mess into one gym in a YMCA. But the story doesn't end there. See, Jesus' body, broken, beaten, torn down, three days later got up and started to move. And started to accomplish the mission that he set forth. 
continue to accomplish the mission that he'd set forth. And, and it's not to say that we just pretend like everything's great and we don't actually deal with the drama. We don't actually deal with the issues, you see, because his body, though working and functioning, had scars. And so we're scarred by this world, but we are not broken. That we as a body, showing our scars are not hindered by them. They're just markers of the things that we've overcome. I want you to take this application piece. So you wonder how do we kind of do this on the ground? This is very kind of thought work, but how do we actually do this in a practical way? Um, And so I'd like to challenge you to do this. Um, Maybe take a few Sundays and do this. Um, But before you come to church, Sunday morning, maybe right when you wake up, maybe on your way in the car, maybe right when you get here, maybe when you get to your seat, I'd like to challenge you to say a very quick prayer. I want you to pray for, God, who do you want me to encourage today? And listen. Listen for the names. Listen for the things he wants you to say. Listen for the word that he's given you for that one specific person that could change everything this morning. Pray, God, what burdens do you want me to leave here today? You see, we as a body are hindered by all the things that we bring in from the week. That we're kind of picking up all these collective things in our backpack as we walk through this week. And we can barely make it through the door of the church. And God just tells you to just drop it and leave it here. And finally, what encouragement do you have for me today? And these things... Sometimes you may feel that there's a direct answer that the Holy Spirit kind of speaks to you about specific things and sometimes not. But either way, it's going to focus our mind on what's actually supposed to be happening here today. And that is a mission. That is the presence of God. That is the body of Christ up, scars and all, walking, running, moving towards the goal of connecting, igniting a city, lighting the world. And so I started in 1 Corinthians 11, where he's talking about these divisions breaking the church. And I'll finish in the next part he talks about. Verse 23. For I have received from the Lord what I also passed to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It seems all of a sudden that Paul starts talking about communion. But now when we think about it, it doesn't seem that sudden. That he's talking about how do we become united? Communion is not... Um, an outreach activity that we go out into the community and do. No, it's something that we come in here as the body of Christ and do together to remind ourselves what he did for us, to remind ourselves that we, broken scars and all, are the body of Christ who didn't stay broken but actually came back to life. So we too as a body can let our divisions and our drama and our messiness show 
but just be the scars of the sinful world and not hinder or deter us. And through the redeeming power of Jesus, we too, as his body, can run toward the mission that he's called us and change the world. Let's pray. God, may that be our story. God, may we be a church that doesn't um, be isn't known for the drama and the divisions, but a church that is known as one united body. That anyone who walks through our doors can feel that, that each person is this appendage of this, of this body and they, that you have assembled us all here this morning to accomplish the mission that you've set for City of Lights. God, I pray that that we would have the boldness to, to just ask you at the beginning of these services who we can encourage, to ask you what we need to let go of, to ask you what encouragement you have for us today. God, I pray as we do this that you would honor it and honor our united, one mission-driven body and that we may represent you well in this city. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.